Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. On this episode, everything old is new again and like the never-ending rebirth of bell-bottoms, jenko jeans, and even crocs, the old is back and hotter than ever. Thanks to the works of Lawyers Garshall and others, the old Quake-style yeasts are a hot topic. In this episode, I sit down with Levy Freed of Long Beach Beer Lab and talk about how he's switched half of his production to using these fast and furious hot fermenters. So sit back and learn his secrets. But first, a message from our sponsors. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malt House Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publisher of none other than Simple Home Brewing by two guys named Denny Kahn and Drew Beecham. Maybe, just maybe, you've heard of them. If you want to streamline your brew day, make great beer, and have a blast in the process, head over to BrewersPublications.com and buy a copy of Simple Home Brewing. beers we have a hoppy blonde a faux milkshake ipa a belgian barley wine or double style belgian and then a pastry stout and they're all quite they're real and, and so now that we're talking i think we better tell everybody else who's talking so sir introduce yourself and where right, this is uh levy freed from the long beach beer lab uh, you guys might remember we've been here before uh, the combination bakery brewery and and you guys have gone through some changes yeah bigger uh, bigger brewery yeah we are upgraded since the last time we upgraded to a 10 barrel system so 
brewing more beers, more experimental. Well, and then you guys have also leaned very hard into the into the quakies. Yeah, uh, as being true to our microbiology and fascination with uh, fermentation, we uh, definitely embrace all the new yeast that come out. And I just fell in love with this yeast because we just can't keep up with a lot of our demand on some of our beers. And this gives us another outlet to produce beers at a faster pace. And just to set the stage, we've talked about uh, quake yeast before on the podcast. And old-style Norwegian farmhouse ale yeast that have been, the mixed cultures have been stripped down, you know, they've been run through modern biological processes. You know, you've got single cultures, you've got multicultures out there now, but they they seem to be odd workhorses. Yeah, I've, I really like the uh, kind of the historical science part of, of brewing and kind of, and I like that about medicine when we were, when, when I was uh, working in medicine, it's kind of like, how did you come to this? How did you find these things? How did they emerge and, and, and how are they being used? And, and as we go forward, how are modern brewers going to be using them? And so I tried to grasp on to all these like little stories, especially because every strain has their own background story to it, which is up on Lars's website. Who seems to have single-handedly invoked everybody's interest in this. And saved the tradition. Exactly. And, and just to just be clear that we're going to put it out there, none of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today is any of the traditional Norwegian farmhouse beers. No. It's just taking advantage of the quake yeast. I put together a talk for some some presentations to talk about modern brewing with ancient yeasts. The useful utility of these yeasts are incredible. I always tell people, because a lot of brewers have a lot of hesitation, they're kind of stuck in their old ways, but uh, I view myself as a landlord for yeasts, and each one of my fermenters are an apartment. I like the turnaround payment every every seven, five to seven days. Wait, does that mean a troop dump is an eviction? Yeah. <laughs> Every time I keg a beer, it's a, it's a yeast moving on, but uh, 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 it's a payment, which is great because um, we can make beers in a third of the time. And I think if brewers uh, kind of dial in all the intricacies and, and that's what we've been trying to do, um, you can make beers that nobody could, nobody would tell that are made with Fike. And they're not farmhouse, and they're just delicious. Well, and I was just having a sip of the blonde here. Yeah. Though. And, yeah, if you didn't tell me, oh, you know, this is a quake yeast in here, I would be like, okay. Just a floral, hoppy blonde. Um, I like to add the hops in there because there are just a little bit of nuances to it. And, um, yeah, clear, bright. Yep. And this is... Um, this blonde is a three to four days turnaround. Let's talk about this because the, these yeasts have some real interesting characteristics that people are leaning into them. Fast fermenters, aggressive fermenters in terms of taking down gravity. They, they apparently laugh in the face of sugar. No temp control. So great for homebrewers who don't have temp control. Right. And, and of course, thing being that you can either do, yeah, you have people who are trying to push these to like 100 degrees, you know. Uh, I, I, I've done them at 90 uh, and gotten some really interesting results out of them. And then, of course, you can also treat them like regular ale yeast and, you know, keep them low and cold. And people, so people are playing around with that sort of spectrum. Right. Yeah, I'm getting the Oslo strain from uh, bootleg. bootleg. Yeah, Jeff 
is sending me uh, some pitches, and I'm going to be doing some loggers with them. Yeah, because Oslo is supposed to be very clean. Yeah, so we'll see. I should be getting them this week. I'm very excited. I have both the uh, liquid culture of that waiting at home, and they were running around. Uh, them and Escarpment Labs were running around at HomebrewCon with dried uh, dime bags. Love both of those laboratories. Um, Jeff and Richard Price from from Escarpment and Jeff Mello from Bootleg Biology have helped me a lot uh, figure this yeast out, kind of tweak it out, and help me go through some of the... Uh, you know, trials and tribulations of that, getting getting my cultures. Well, so now th- this first, uh, the blonde, walk us through it. What, what are you using it and what was your, your fermentation profile? So um, my goal with the blonde, um, because we were in Long Beach and it's a blonde lager city, uh, was to create a, a, a blonde that I could do grain to glass within three to four days. We go ahead and we brew this blonde. This is, um, it's uh, 90% Pilsner. 1% wheat, and then when we run off through the heat exchanger, we turn our counterflow or count curd water down so that we could run off into the tank at, um, we're doing 33 degrees Celsius, which is about 100, it's like 96 degrees Fahrenheit. And we run off into the tank, and we'll go ahead uh, and pitch our yeasts. Here we're using Cyclovin uh, yeast that I got from a friend of mine named Jimmy Healy, who's part of the Milk the Funk group. And I love this yeast because it's super neutral, super soft. And within 30 minutes, it takes off in fermentation. What are you doing in terms of uh, pitch size? Because, I mean, I know there are some people out there who are like, oh, you can just, you know, shake a bit of a quake at something in it and it will destroy everything. I, I try to under pitch as much as possible. If we'll do like a full corny keg's worth of fluffy yeast in, in, in a normal batch of beer, we'll go about a third. Okay. And so, yeah, again, these yeasts seem to respond to abuse. Right. Well, the, the thing that I, and I, and I wouldn't take any of my, uh, what I'm saying now as, you know, peer reviewed science, but it's been my experience that there, there, there's a reduced lag period of time in these yeasts, which are beneficial because, um, you don't have to worry about contamination within the first 24 hours that you have for the uh, lag period and the growth period of standard Saccharomyces strains. So that's very nice. So if you were going to you know, ferment hot and your sterility is not so on point, that's very, that's very good because it'll overcompete anything. But the thing, th- there's pluses and minuses to all of that. Without that lag uh, phase, you're not going to have the same glycerol profile. Um, now, there's a little contention between Richard and I on this, but my perceived body decreases the hotter and faster I go. Right, okay. It just rips into fermentation like a distiller's yeast would, goes straight to producing alcohol, and what you're la- what left with is like a lack of perceived body. Um, and so when we did our first Pike beer and that came out, we had, and also there's an increased pH um, or an acid uh, development. So your pH drops uh, a lot, a lot more than a normal fermentation profile would. So in order for us to combat kind of that, those downfalls, those, those pitfalls there, we'll, we'll um, use high dextrin as malts or add maltodextrin in and also um, add our salt additions to the boil to make sure that our runoff is on the higher end 
of the pH scale that we're looking for. So if you're running off at 5.5, five, I'm looking to do like, or 5.4, or I'm looking to do 5.6. And um, then you get a full body like we, we have in this beer. Now, the first time we did this beer, it didn't have that kind of body. I was going to say, to me, it's funny. In the experiments I've done so far, and, I'm, and I have not done a lot yet, right? Because I've just started playing with these. One thing I noticed was a lot of fruit. You know, from uh, which one was I using? I was using the uh, Voss. Voss, yeah. Or the, the sour orange, you know, mm-hmm. very interesting character. Citrusy. Yeah. yeah. But the one thing I noticed was that there was a sweetness there, but there was also a thinness. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm guessing that maybe that same. I think it's a glycerol issue. Uh, Richard Price contends with me on this, but he's also doing very small experiments, and he might not be doing them at the same temperature that I am. Well, and just to talk about the beer real quick, I mean, yeah, you're right. This is stock clear. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah, br- brilliant. Wonderful fruity nose to it, but not not like a big obnoxious, you know, a cherry bomb. Right. Yeah, you know, But you do get like a little bit of berry. It's almost like a Belgian kind of style blonde. It's crisp, just a little bit of sweetness. And then and then the beer gets out of the way and you get that little hop character. kind of. That sweetness is the maltodextrin. And a lot of our goal was to see how to dial in the maltodextrin. And this kind of is the great segue into the next beer. This beer came along because we went on the higher spectrum of the maltodextrin and ended up with a very sweet IPA that obviously wasn't going to metabolize, uh, be metabolized by the Kvikis. And we were like, what are we going to do with this? It's a very good IPA, great character, but you have this sweetness. And so we kind of went the route of the milkshake IPAs, and we made a creamsicle IPA. Now, we don't have any uh, lactose in here. This is all maltodextrin. But this is our hazy creamsicle IPA. We call it the dreamsicle IPA. And, and it, de- it definitely lives up to the hazy, but not as hazy as, uh, as some of them. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, you said creamsicle, so of course, obviously, I'm going to think orange pop. Yeah. And... Boy, doesn't it come across as sweet orange right up right up on top of the nose. Yeah, you get a little touch of vanilla, orange. And that's interesting. So no lactose. No lactose. And so all that's maltodextrin. And it's a it's a seven-day Kvike beer. And it's our number one seller right now. Naturally. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're just about to get to that point, the point in time. Summer's going to start to really bite us in the butt. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see if the if the blonde moves forward. Yeah. I'm I'm stoked with all the stuff that we've done, and we've moved to fifty uh, percent of our production in Kvike. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, when we were just downstairs, you're like, oh wait, how many of these do I have? And counting them, you couldn't even keep track. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, it's somewhere like seven or eight of them. This one, how how big of a starting beer was this? Gravity. Uh, we're looking at like sixteen and a half Play-Doh. Okay. All right. Yeah. So about ten sixty six. So yeah, like average average IPA. Average IPA. I think we end up at like a six nine. That's not bad. Yeah. And then we add uh, locally grown orange zest and vanilla. No, is this the same uh, quake strain or? This is cyclovin. Um, we use a lot of cyclovin. I like that strain. I just got 13 new strains in and then I'm getting Oslo. The other strain that we use a lot, um, I didn't pour any of the beers here with it, is Scar. It's a Scar yeast. I don't use the Voss or the Hornendal. And, I, and the reason is, is... Um, like you said, you get that like super orange kind of almost. It's almost like a energy drink orange kind of 
weird. Yeah, in my, in my experience, it's always been that the Seville orange, you know, the, yeah, those sour oranges. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always like. I'm always combating the pH uh, uh, decrease on all of these beers. Now, in order to do it, you said you're adding salts into the into the, into the boil, okay. oh, into, the, into boil. the runoff. Yeah. So as I'm whirlpooling, I'm taking pH measurements, especially as it's coming off of the heat exchanger, and then I'm dosing back in. What are you using? Oh, to raise the pH, we're using sodium bicarb or calcium bicarbonate. Lime. Yeah. And then, and you you said you were trying to get up like five seven as opposed to like five. Yeah, four. instead of five four, get up to five seven, and you're. Without any of these pH balances, you're going to see um, drops up into the th- high threes for pH. But and what's funny is I'm not seeing the same sort of uh, aggressive sour character that, that you'd expect with that sort of a pH drop. Yeah, you don't. You don't. It's not as. I mean, you could tell because there is a thinner thinness, and acid will do that. And you could tell that there's like the citrusy. The only thing that we could say is it's cidery and it's citrusy. It's almost if you made like an orange cider. Or like an orange wine. The only problem is fermenting oranges always taste off. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this has been our number one goal is to try and get to that, you know, runoff pH and that body that it doesn't taste too sweet. Uh, although this one, this one we w- is on the uh, the high end of the spectrum, whereas the blonde is kind of right in the middle. Yeah, the, the blonde to me feels more like. Beer, 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 beer. Yeah, this, well, this is a milkshake, and I'm I'm not usually a big milkshake person. I, I don't have a, a Denny's hardcore displeasure with uh, hazy IPAs and milkshakes, but most of the time I don't find the milkshake IPAs very satisfying to me. This one I like. I think I think part of the difference is that difference between the lactose and the maltodextrin. A hundred percent. It's not as sweet. Yeah, but you get the body, and it's not as sticky. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the lactose milkshake IPAs come off very sticky. I, we don't brew with a lot of lactose. Even this um, this pastry stout is no lactose. You know, with playing with these yeasts, we went ahead and we we ran out of tank space because we're just constantly brewing and and our tanks are always full. So uh, I won- I wondered if we could ferment at room temperature in an IBC a plastic IBC tote. <laughs> That was that was like one of my things because I've got thirty IBC totes next door, and I was I was wondering can can a brewer not even put in glycol and brew classic styles without any temperature control without a you know uh, your standard commercial brewing systems. Well, I mean, let's take a look at what these yeasts were known for doing. I mean, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't suspect the farmhouses have much in the way of glycol. Mm-hmm, not at all. And so um, this we, we set out to brew a barley wine. Mm-hmm. Um, no temp control in a plastic IBC tote. Right. And so for people who are in, in, in the industry, explain an IBC tote. An IBC tote is like a four by four by four plastic cube um, that is used to haul food grade liquids. So if you ever see those like f- uh, plastic cubes that are in those metal cages, those are the IBC totes. And we get our IBC totes from a friend super cheap. So for, for us to utilize those as fermenters is a game changer. I know a lot of breweries will use them, like if they're doing remote production of wort. Right. You'll see juice moved around in them all the time. Or fruiting. I know a lot of sour breweries fruit in those, so they come off the oak into the IBC totes. So, all right, so we get the IBC tote. We start to make a barley wine. A barley wine. 
Walk me through it, bud. Yeah, so we're running off a hunt at, uh, I think, 96 degrees again, and we pitch our fike yeast in there, and this time it's ripping. It's um, We're up at close to 28 Play-Doh, and it's hot, and it's ripping through this thing. Um, and we're tasting it as it's going through and it's super hot, um, alcohol. The flavors are wild tropical and it's not like the classic barley wines that we're used to. So we just, we're busy here, you know, we're moving blondes and IPAs out and sour beers and we kind of let it sit for a good two months. Barley wine appreciates the time. Yeah. I think a little bit of oxidation in there also really helps. Um, when we had a free tank, we racked off from the IBC toad into the tank so that we could cool it down, collect the yeast, pressurize it, and carbonate it. And uh, that's what we got here. So I think the color I hit nice on the barley wine, that's the brewing, but in the flavor, it's still very fruity. Well, and to me, there is that hint of acidity in here, but there's also, I mean, I guess really the best way I'm putting it in my mind is it it tastes like a... uh, a ginger molasses cookie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I'm saying, right. that, I mean, cause I like ginger and I like molasses cookies. So, but yeah, it's really interesting to me because it, yeah, this is the one that I think says the most yeast character to it. I think a lot of it has to do and what we're finding is if you don't move through the beers fast enough, they'll end up lagering to that fight character. So why IPAs and blondes that are moving fast and getting them colder in the fridge, we serve them, but I've, Talk to other breweries who've held on to IPAs. Their last keg of IPA tastes more fikey, you know. So, which of course then gets translated by everybody else. Like, hey, just call it Belgian. Yeah, exactly. It turns more Belgiany. <laughs> um, you get more fruity flavors, and you get that thinness kind of creeps up. That acidity kind of creeps up on you. Yeah, and, and uh, more phenols, and we ended up calling this a Belgian barley wine because it. It's spiced enough. It's spiced, exactly. It's not exactly, it's a a little bit too uh, beefy to be a double, Mm -hmm. Um, but it kind of, I don't know, my own belief, I believe the barley wine and the double are closely related. Yeah, they're they're pretty close. I mean, you can. Geographically and, uh, you know, grain bills. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you think about it, like a, a classic barley wine is pretty much all pale malt and a long boil, maybe a touch of roast. But very little else, and your classic double, or even your like your classic Belgian quad, which is this is also close in strength too. You know, I mean that's pale malt or pills plus dark sugar, right? And that's it. That's the boil. <laughs> I think this beer, although um, it's a niche kind of category, I think it was a success for us. We made a beer in an IBC tote at room temperature, and it's nine point seven percent alcohol. Okay, again, this is July, uh, and we're about to we're about to feel the the oven turn on. But I I could see this going down very easily in December and January, and yeah, like war- winter warmer. Oh yeah, because it, you get that ginger spice and yeah, it, molasses. It totally reads like a like winter warmer to me, which is really interesting. Yeah, so we're actually going to probably bottle because, it, like you said, the summer's coming. So we'll end up bottling the rest of our sock and kind of just keep that until the winter. And see how that matures in the bottle. Now, is, is this the same the, the same Sickleman yeast? Uh, or is this the I scar? think this is the scar. This is the scar. I have to look back at my notes, but I'm pretty sure this is the scar. And that's why you're getting a little bit more of the citrus 
kind of uh, acidity because the scar drops pH like crazy. No, no amount of lime will, will help it's you keep it so, It's so hard. It's really hard. I, I like the Cyclovin. That's a, that's been my favorite. But like I said, we're getting Oslo, and, we're, and I have thirteen others. So I'm gonna next beer I do, I'm gonna rack off a bunch into Carboys and and start. Yeah, unfortunately, I started to, uh, started taking notes on quick strings here, you know, and you know, like I do with my saison strings, and now I'm realizing uh, I'm a dummy. I've bit off another big project that's gonna take years. <laughs> well, share share that knowledge and make my life easier. <laughs> For sure. And, that, and so, again, to me, that's very interesting. So just to remind people, I mean, we started with a very clean, mm-hmm. hoppy blonde, mm-hmm. had, a, had a milkshake IPA, then a, a Belgian spiced beer, effectively, and now into something that only seems appropriate for a place that's both a brewery and a bakery, a pastry stout. A pastry stout, yeah. So this is our, like, pancake beer we did for Mother's Day. It's called Mother's Helper. It's a uh, um, maple vanilla pastry stout it's definitely maple it is super thick and chewy and again no lactose well yeah, and it's interesting because okay i've had i've had a number of pastry stouts and again uh, so many of those come off very very sweet yeah uh, like they're big heavy dessert beers uh, how, how, how big of a beer is this uh, gravity and alcohol 30 37 degrees plato oh and we're looking at 12 12 alcohol but a lot of it's maltodextrin jeez What's interesting is that you've got a big maple nose, mm-hmm. and then when you get into the taste, just like I kind of expect, like there's less maple flavor, but you get the maple smoke. Yeah, that's fenugreek. I, that's we're, what I was wondering. Yeah, we're not using uh, maple; we're using fenugreek. Most of the time, if you get something that says it's maple flavored, it's actually fenugreek, is because the same compounds in fenugreek, and it's a hell of a lot easier and less expensive than maple. And I find maple. that the when I was home brewing with maple syrup, I I didn't find it. Um, very effective because you'd add a certain volume and it's mostly sugar. So you'd have a re-fermentation, which would off gas all of those volatiles. And then you ended up with higher alcohol, less maple flavor and fenugreek doesn't have any of the sugars and you get all of the flavor. But it's still interesting that it, like either from the roast or the suggestion, there is that smoke character. In there. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about fenugreek on the show in the past. Uh, a little while back we had, one of my club members, after she gave birth to her first child, she made a lactation beer, and one of the key ingredients in it was fenugreek. Yeah. I think this one uh, I was very happy with. Yeah. We reduced this into, like, a syrup, and we put it over the pancakes. People were very happy. And for Mother's Day... I was going to say, I don't think it takes much reduction to get there. Yeah. <laughs> it's very thick. But, I'm, I mean, you're not... The yeast kind of steps out of the way, and we finished this beer in nine days. Nine, uh, nine days from a 36-degree Play-Doh yeah. start. Wow. That's yeah. bonkers. It's ripping. It's so hot. When you put your hand on the manway, and usually it's going to be cold, it's warm. Yeah. It's like a bath. It's it kind of weird and amazing. And again, uh, so uh, Sucklemon in this one? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we had three, three with Sucklemon and one with Scar. Yeah. And you, you were saying you like the Sucklemon better for the kind of the more clean. Soft, clean notes. I find that our number one complaint with the IPAs that we do with the Cyclovin is that they're not sharp and crisp enough because they're so soft. We still do West Coast IPAs with our Cal Ale yeast, and we do our lagers with our 3470 or, or Kel yeast. But the rest of our production that's not sour, which, is, which will be mixed fermentation, is with Fike. So anything that's soft, like an amber ale or a 
or a blonde or some of these, you know, pastry, I call them pastry IPAs or pastry stouts, then we'll just throw Kvike at them. Uh, you are doing things with like the lime to raise your pH to battle the, the pH drop. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if, I guess if you added sulfate to try and get that hot crispness that everybody associates with West Coast IPA, you your pH would the, go in, right, right in the nose. Yeah, the sulfates uh, drive the pH down, but then you're also now over calcifying, mm-hmm. and that crispness becomes softer, kind of like how milk is soft because of the calcium. Because your so, your your calcium concentrate is so high from your if you're adding lime calcium uh, calcium you know, carbonate, your the calcium con- concentration, the PPMs are through the roof. Now you're talking about like like a softness on the palate. Well, a- anytime you get into over mineralized water, things just go weird. Yeah, yeah. So we, 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 you know, we're now playing with our water chemistry a lot more than we have with our traditional uh, yeasts. Um, and you know, and that's okay with us because we're the lab. So we're out there to try the different yeasts and do things. I mean, we're we're probably started making fight beers like two months after the last time you recorded. Right. I was gonna say it was. I mean, that was almost a year ago. Yeah. And yeah, just kind of amusing though, like to see like a fairly radical shift happen. Yeah. By well, the, bringing something very very old in. Well, that's the other thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, is I really like the history of the Kvike and they start, um, I know that Richard Price broke down the genome and I was listening to his, uh, lecture at the Carnival Bretonomyces that was in Amsterdam. And I'd love to have a good excuse to go to Amsterdam like that next year. <laughs> Just give a talk. And he was talking about how there's a hybridization of the genome between ancient Asian pickling yeasts Think about pH drops yeah. and pickling yeast and modern English ale strains. And they met up in Norway and hybridized. That sounds like the world's worst romance novel. <laughs> but it's so weird. But now you could think about, okay, super clean, right? Minimal ester profile. And if you look at like uh, Belgian, uh, Belgian versus English ales, right? And then you could look at these high temperature um, ranges that are found in pickling techniques in Asia. And now you could start to see, okay, this yeast is kind of made to produce very low esters, almost no phenol or fusel alcohols. And that's one thing that you could say about the, the Belgian barley wine and the pastry stout. It's not hot. No, no, I agree. It's not hot. And so you don't get any of those stress or kind of uh, byproducts. You get kind of fruity notes, which are you know classic, I would say. And then you're you're not going to get the bandaidy phenols. You're not going to get any of those harsh medicinal flavors and any of those fusel alcohols, which come off to be like um, kind of gassy or you know high fruit. Yeah, well, and for me, I always tell people like the way I detect fusel alcohols is not only like a little bit of slickness or oiliness. Yeah, but I always get that feeling like somebody's put a screwdriver right behind the <laughs> right behind the bridge of my nose. And just it, a little because it volatilizes in the retronasal passage, and and that's what's happening, and because it's gassing into your nose. So, I mean, it's just very interesting to me because like all of this just really demonstrates like 
how much our ancestors could do without completely understanding what the heck was happening. Like, I mean, nowadays, yeah, we can, we can go, we can break down the, the genome and go, oh, it's this and this and this. Right. But the, the fact that this stuff came up without anybody really having awareness over it is really kind of amazing. It takes a lot more time and practice. I think the, the art of practice in brewing is, uh, is, was key for them. I think uh, I think the other point to 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 talk about is the storage of these yeasts because that made a huge impact. Whereas, like lager yeasts were traditionally, you know, stored in compacted kind of clay style bricks, or as a slurry, these are able to be oven dried or air dried. And and hung up and stored away. I, I love those traditional yeast hoops. Yeah, those, those they look like vertebrae, kind of like, yeah, it's a kind of a kind of a weird thing. But yeah, we can put this on a sheet pan between two baking sheets and um, dehydrate it, and 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 then just sprinkle some dust as dried yeast uh, into into our fermenters, and. It's pretty incredible when you're talking about a pre, uh, you know, yeast laboratory kind of era to be able to transport your yeast from farmhouse to farmhouse. And to be clear to people to, to recognize, like, because I know some people out there are going to be, but what about sterility? And like going, the, the stuff that most of the farmhouse brewers were using is mixed culture. Yeah, it, it was mixed culture when, when the modern uh, home brewers and the brewers in the United States got them, they selected out the bacteria and the yeast. Yeah. So, so you, we're using just the yeast from that and you know places like bootleg and escarpment and maniacal and the other ones that are getting on to this yeah you know, they will sell both blends and the the single pure cultures so make sure you pay attention because otherwise you might have some new critters introduced to yeah <laughs> i actually i was so shocked with the ph drop that my first question back to the labs was like did i order the right thing did you guys give me a writer yeah i was convinced that they're that there would be like there's some bacteria, lactic acid bacteria production in these beers, but the problem is you don't get any of the associated flavors, yeah. and so what you're getting is like you, people say, oh it's citrusy. Well, you know, Pediococcus lactobacillus doesn't give their acids aren't citrusy. Yogurt, yeah, vinegar, I, exactly. So what we were getting was super clean and bright and if anything citrusy because i think the hops playing with the uh ph drop but then we find when we raise that ph back you just get very clear and clean beer and, and no associated off flavors so i i i just think that we need to nail these kind of ph balances down and 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 we would be using these you know all the time it's interesting to see your lineup because you know with the barley wine and the pastry stout i've seen a number of people using these to make like oh this is my hazy ipa with with quake yeast or this is i I did a cold fermented cold fermented i I did a a beer fermented in in 65s but it comes off as clean as a pilsner so yeah it's interesting to see what people are going to come up with over time. I'm excited about that. Okay. Uh, um, I, I fully believe it by the fact that you have seven of these on, on tap. <laughs> now, as a super fan of the yeast, you you obviously have a lot of feelings about the virtues of them and the, the different things that you can do. I mean, they ferment warm so you can get away with less temperature control. They ferment fast. They're aggressive. 
they almost seem to be bulletproof to somebody who's an idiot as a, as a homebrewer, right? Yes. But as we all know with all of our true loves in this world, there are problems. You've talked about the pH drop. Is there anything else about about these that? We well, we can... talked about also the bodies, right? Exactly. So the you know the additions of maltodextrin into these beers and the pH drop, I would think, is is the limitation of these of these beers. And then I think, and I'm only I don't really see the effects of these, but that long term kind of storage where the fikey kind of characters come out. And I think that you're seeing that more in the in the in the Belgian barley wine and the pastry stout, which are the older of the of the samples that we have here. And you're getting that hint of smokiness. That's because what's happening is you're crisping up the entire profile, and the roast malt is 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 coming out, and the acidity is dropping. So uh, the the pH is dropping, so the acidity is rising. So you're getting more of that kind of like roastiness and also with those notes in the in the barley one those fruity uh esters and the spice characters and i think i think you know we're taking diligent notes we're talking to all the laboratories but i i think with a good three to five years of of using these i will be able to go into the future and use this yeast more predictably well i i have to admit these these excite the pants off of me it's just interesting. And again, I mean, we're talking about, you know, my whole thing is I want to try and make, try and make brewing simpler for people, right? You know, mm-hmm. make it so that you don't have to sweat as many of the details or that you know the right details to sweat, I should say. And so, like, the fact that we have these coming out that seem to be able to be super forgiving super fermenters, that bodes pretty well, I think, for, for a hobby. You know, it makes, you know, I'd be curious to see where we get to with this because this stuff's fun. And yeah, I agree. We're in early days. Yeah, very early days. I'm, 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 I'm excited to see. I mean, I know in the, in the winter, I had three pastry stouts on and they were all nine days right after each other. That's stupid fast. <laughs> I know other brewers are like slaving over for like three months, two to three months on their pastry stouts. So. I'm I'm very I'm very I'm very excited about that, and uh, I'll let you know if I find anything. And I'm looking forward to getting some of those notes that you had because I have 13 strands, and I want to know at least something about them. You know. <laughs> well, I suspect you and I will be racing together to learn this stuff. So, thank you so much for well, you know, taking the time to sit down, teaching us what you've learned so far about this, and also. I have to say, for sharing some really interesting beers, a lot of different expression of characters here, and really shows that there's more than just just hazy IPAs, <laughs> exactly, and more than just hazy IPAs or cold fermented uh, pilsery type things uh, with this. So it's really cool to see, and I encourage everybody out there, you know, if you get a chance, there these quakeys are now uh, becoming more and more available. Obviously, we've talked bootleg biology, escarpment labs. Uh, Imperial has one. Maniacal Omega. Maniacal Omega. Omega is probably the the one that's pushed the hardest into this space. Yeah. Uh, And and it's most commonly available. They've got their Voss and their Hornendal. They have the Hothead, right? That's Voss? Uh, Well, no. I forget which one Hothead is, but because they have Voss separately. Okay. So they have Voss and Hornendal and then Hothead, and I don't remember which one Hothead is off the top of my head. But so Omega's made a big push, and they're commonly available. So these things are now available to people. And just like any of these other sort of weird little critters, they all give their unique little spin. And so I really do encourage people to take some time and 
ferment hot. Yeah. I never thought I'd say that, but ferment hot. Flipping the whole thing on its head. Why not? Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this exploration of Quake Yeast with Levy. Give him a shot if you find yourself in Long Beach. In the meanwhile, what have been your Quake experiences? Any notes to add to Levy's experiences? It's a brave new world, but is anyone surprised that these yeasts have spread? After all, how are you going to keep them down on the farm when they've seen fermenters around the world? Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast.experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at ExperimentalBrew.com or Drew at ExperimentalBrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA BrewSwag.com code word experimental, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is, well, still to be determined. So until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the AHA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org.